Oh, Ooh, the man can sing. Put some flares on and get out there. <laughs> and platform shoes. And platform, well, why well, not? Why would you? Neil Diamond <laughs> Week on the panel because there's a little bit of Neil Diamond in every one of us, as you heard just there. <laughs> yep. This is Forever in Blue Jeans. And if life is getting you down a bit, if the election isn't as joyous as you'd hoped, if the world's woes are weighing on you, we've got you on the panel with Neil Diamond Week. Is, was anyone thought the election was going to be joyous, Wallace? As joyous as you thought it was going to be? I thought it was going to be a four-week party. Tell about you, mate. <laughs> what uh, Neil, Neil Diamond, I, I can picture you'd have three or four near the, you'd, you'd at least have hot August night, uh, Nalini. Uh, sweet Caroline. Oh, okay. You're talking about the album, the way Holgers, not the album. Yeah. yeah. Double album. Yeah. We oh, have one album. album. I can't remember what it is. We have one. Yep. Oh, man. The men's voice. Uh, so it, it is Neil Diamond therapy. Week because we've just, exactly, it is therapy, uh, pre election mm-hmm. therapy. Uh, what's <laughs> your favourite Neil Diamond on, song? Hey, tell you what, bit of Neil Diamond, some carver, and yeah, honestly. <laughs> You chilled out. The panel. Yep. Unbelievable. Yep. You're welcome. Listeners. Although, um, Wallace, you ignored the late John Lennon's birthday, then devote a whole week to Neil Diamond. Good oh. grief. Yeah, 9th, uh, of, 9th of October, 19th, yeah. I want to say 1942. Exactly. Uh, the panel, uh, NZ National. But it was covered by other areas in Radio New Zealand, if I'm not wrong. Yes. Uh, Nalini Baruch and Andrew Clay on the panel today. Now, uh, the worst pollution event we've had in Auckland for almost 50 years. Years. That is what one marine side has called it. A couple of weeks ago, a sinkhole opens in the Parnell region and sewage still pours into the harbour. Waitamata Harbour, hundreds of litres of sewage per second, 24 hours a day. The question for us is what is this going to do to the ecosystem? With us is freshwater ecologist and researcher Dr. Mike Joy. Dr. Joy Kiara. Hi, Wallace. The worst pollution event we've had in Auckland for almost 50 years. That's what uh, marine scientist Andrew Jeffs said. Do you agree with that? Um, yeah, although it's uh, because it's a big, you know, it's a big hit. It's a big one-off, and it makes the news. It's kind of frustrating as a as a scientist that you know the things that make the news in the background, you know, constantly for decades. And I've done quite a bit of work in Auckland. There are multiple leaks of wastewater into streams that flow into the, both the Waitemata and the, and the Manukau mm-hmm. Harbour. And they kind of just get forgotten about because they're small amounts and they they get covered up. I remember the freshwater scientist came to Massey to give us a presentation from Auckland Regional Council back when it was a regional council. And they showed a map of the known um, wastewater discharges or leaks, you know, the sort of mm-hmm. unofficial um, and and the whole the whole re- the whole city was just covered in these red dots, and they had different sized dots for different sized leakages. And I remember the Mayola stream; fifty mm. percent um, of its flow was wastewater, oh, God. and it had been going on for decades, oh, and it probably God. still is. So you know, it's kind of yeah. So this is a bad thing. Um, it highlights it. It's I guess it's good in a way because it, it it makes some publicity, and maybe we'll get some change, and some money will get spent on infrastructure, but. Um, yeah, it's kind of this background stuff going all on, on all the time. That's a problem. Um, uh, why hasn't something happened earlier? I mean, this is, you know, we pride ourselves on being a marine city here in Auckland. Mm. How has this been allowed to happen? Well, you know, I can remember, you know, multiple times when, you know, events have been cancelled because of microbial contamination of, of the harbour. You've got a big population of people, um, you know, all of that coastline there. Um, it's It's... 
it's a frustration to me this kind of thing goes on all over New Zealand and keeps on going on. Um, it's a failure of, of, of the councils, of the authorities, of, of the government to, to prioritise sorting out these issues. What kind of costs would it be, not just to mm. fix this one that's going mm. on now, but to all those little red dots that I assume are still happening? <laughs> Yeah, what, I assume what, that's still happening too. What no, kind it'll, of cost it'll be do you very, think? very expensive. And, you know, I know I hear, of course, all the pressure that goes on council to reduce rates and mm. there's money wanted for all sorts of things. So it's it's always about priorities, you know. It's just where, do, where you're going to spend the money. And the thing with infrastructure is that, it, you know, you've got to keep maintaining it. It's like your house. If you just yeah. avoided right. doing any maintenance, it would, it would fall down. Very good analogy, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Uh, stay there, Michael. Let's bring in uh, Nalini. Hi, Mike. Um, Hi. Yucky, you know. What do we say? This is this is just just unacceptable. But what I what I, are we as a country uh, an evidence based culture, and that means that we see the damage before we are woken up into into reality and and wanting to do something to very quickly remedy the situation, which it sounds like we can't actually do anymore. So. Who takes a holistic view of our future? How do we plan for it? How do we put those plans in place? And how do we entrench it so that governments, future governments can't undo it, neither can councils? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, like you say, it's, there's, there's plenty of evidence, but it tends to be just... So the frustrating thing for me has been for a long, long time knowing that, you know, one of the big issues in, in, is nitrate in our water. And, and I know that if it turned our rivers red, we would not have this problem. Yeah. And I guess if carbon in the atmosphere turned the 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 air red, then we wouldn't have the problem because we would have done something about it. It's, it's, you know, if it's not in our face, if we don't see it all the time, then we tend to, you know, put it to one side. And I guess that's a human failing. Um, and But when it comes to you know, what do we do in the future, then it's it's about education, it's about people knowing there's a problem. And these organisations like Watercare and its predecessors don't, they don't want to, they don't want the public to know that there's bad news. I mean, I've had fights with councils all over the show about not putting signs up and warning signs and their excuse, their, their reasoning is that if people know about it, then they'll want something done about it and then somebody will have to spend some money um, much better to just kind of um, right. prioritise the things that uh, get you votes and 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 heavy. ignore the really Mike, tough stuff. Mike, can I just jump in? I just want, I'm just. Yep. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's uh, I re acknowledge the fact that you know, this is an issue that's been going on for decades, as you mentioned mm. with these constant leaks. Uh, but this uh, this one here, you know, you've got you you have hundreds of litres of sewage per second, yeah, no, twenty four no, hours a day. So yeah. uh, uh, so on that. Um, mm-hmm. What do you suggest to people do? I mean, the weather's getting warmer. Um, mm. When can those beaches be used? Would you go and swim in those beaches in, say, two, three, four weeks' time? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the council will be constantly testing, and, and so they can give the, the, the all clear when the, you know, the test the beaches, and, and they'll be able to give the... It's very hard to predict, mm. and it depends on tide moving in and getting rid of things, but... They'll be monitoring, and they will. And, and once they give the all clear, the thing to be cautious about, though, is that um, the pathogens can persist. So they're not in the water column; they've washed away. The tide's taken them away. It's all been diluted, but but they will live much longer in the sediment and in shellfish. Ugh. And so and there are these habitats where they can right. uh, hang on much longer. 
Well, look, I uh, appreciate you being on the program, Dr. Joy Kiura. Uh, Thank you. That's a freshwater ecologist and research doctor, Joy, but uh, as an Aucklander uh, and a person who loves those streams, those beaches, Miola Beach, Point Sheriff uh, was a local one for me. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's disturbing, isn't it? It's pretty disturbing. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, let's be blunt about it. A lot of those places where the water's coming out is a lot of wealthy people there, so maybe you know those those the kinds of people that can get some action about this because they do have more influence if you have more money it's just a fact of life and and maybe it's time to to really put pressure on council or government or or water care whoever it is because this is not acceptable in a marine country in a marine city it's not acceptable it shouldn't be happening we're not a third world country this should not be happening so i don't know if it's lack of money it's always part of it or has it just been incompetence over decades? Um, go to the Safe Swim website, by the way, and you can check your beaches. It is fairly widespread across uh, across the region there. Uh, check it out and see whether your local is uh, safe or not uh, at, as it stands. 16 to 5, uh, the panel. And staying with the environment, uh, albeit a, a different angle, the Ministry for the Environment and StatsNZ have released the latest report on the state of our atmosphere and climate, our atmosphere and climate 2023. That's the report. It shows how and why our climate is changing. And changing it is. The globe is likely to blow through the 1.5 degrees uh, centigrade warming threshold. What does that mean? It means more droughts, more coastal flooding. And get this, marine heat waves? Well, marine heat waves become the average conditions before the end of the century. With us is Associate Professor Kate McGuinness-Ing, School of Biological Sciences at Auckland University. Um, uh, Kate, kia ora. Kia ora, Willis. That really stuck with me, actually, I must say. Uh, marine heatwaves, which we've had uh, some recently, they become the average condition. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's. I mean, we're definitely seeing climate change here and now. And the interesting thing about heat waves is it's something that's kind of relative to usual conditions, if that makes sense. So what we're going to see in the marine systems is potential for movement of tropical species into areas like Aotearoa. So there are currently marine organisms that deal with those kinds of conditions, but it's going to be a completely different system to what we've got now. So we're potentially going to lose a lot of our really you know, valuable species. Such as perhaps? Oh, um, it's not my area of expertise, but um, I mean, a lot of the, the shellfish in particular, so power, there's been impacts. I mean, the, the heat waves are happening in addition to ocean acidification, sea level rise, so there's a lot of things going on in marine systems. Uh, I think Mahinga Kaya species are in a number of uh, culturally important species that are under threat, and you know, seaweeds also are seeing massive dieback oh. of bull kelp. And that's important for supporting habitats and food for other parts of the food web. So, yeah, big changes. Um, Kate, we've got a panel with us. I want a question or a comment. Uh, Nalini. Hi, Kate. Um, Honestly, I, I don't know what to say. It, it's. It, I looked at all of the data there, and everything is negative, negative. There was, I think, only one thing that caught my eye that said we're doing okay. Everything else is in an alarmingly rate, driving us towards a future that is not going to be a very successful and happy future. And that brought me to something that this being an election year brought. You know, basically reminded me we have 
parties like the Green Party beyond this? You know, why have they not brought this to attention, especially through election? What what are their policies? Do we know whether they have policies around all of the things that are listed in that article? Well, actually, just broadening that out, can I just jump in, Kate, and say that that Mm. was one thing that you did mention, that you were alarmed to see so little mention of climate change in the election coverage. Yeah, absolutely. Because when we're seeing a lot of coverage around cost of living and that kind of thing, and I really understand that for the people who are struggling, but cost of living is really affected by climate. You know, we see big events like Cyclone Gabriel affecting Hawke's Bay region and the whole country. It affects our food prices and our insurance fees. You know, everything's going to go up. If we don't have a healthy climate, we don't have a good economy. So we can't be seeing the politicians saying, oh, we're going to fix the economy without considering the climate. Uh, Andrew, yeah, I, I mean, have to say, sorry, Green Party. I think you've you've dropped the ball in terms of pushing this. Um, yep, I agree. It, it should be it should be more front and center for all the reasons that you've said. Uh, and, and and I guess it's, it's I think the theory that I've always had though that people, most of us that are, you know live for the six inches in front of our face, paying the bills this week, you know, all the things that are immediate to us. Without you know making the link to things like climate, but it's so obvious now. And unfortunately, it's probably a 20-year lag from when we should have been concerned about it 20 or 30 years mm. ago, more concerned. Mm. But, but we need to get away from the sixes in front of our face because that will soon be the six inches in front of our face if it's not already for all the reasons that you've just said. It's not, you know, it's not the people with dreadlocks and tie-dye saving save the planet, save the whales. It's actually real. They were actually right 20 or 30, 40 years ago. And we've, we're kind of blowing it. We're in the middle of blowing it. It should it should be the election issue, and it's not. Hey, uh, finally, yeah. Kate, um, just jumping in here, and uh, um, uh, people want to also know about the responses regarding uh, the the wildfires, the increase, uh, the the impact of um, the climate on wildfires, and that type of type of thing. Yeah, well, what we're going to see is increasing frequency and severity of a range of um, extreme events. So we've already talked about marine heat waves. We're going to see heat waves on land, more droughts, and a lot of those conditions then lead to better conditions for fires. So we're going to get more fire weather. And so that is um, the droughts obviously dry out the vegetation and make it more flammable, but also we have more winds to kind of spread the fire around and things. So our vegetation here in Aotearoa is... Possibly less flammable than, say, what we've seen in Australia, where the eucalypts are really good at getting on fire and staying on fire. Um, but what we will see is, uh, as as fires kind of get bigger and more frequent, then we'll see potentially a change in those systems. And sometimes we might see kind of invasive species being favoured, and those are sometimes more flammable. And so we get the um, this kind of feedback where fires will become more severe and more widespread. So. We're going to see a fire season across the ditch in Australia this year um, and hopefully um, it won't be the same for us here, but we you know, do expect pollution and, and other kinds of effects from that. Well, it's very good to have you on the programme, Kate. Thank you very much uh, for uh, being part of the show. That's uh, Associate Professor Kate McGuinness-Ng, School of Biological Sciences at the uh, University of Auckland. Now, uh, just to comment on this... Um, so Neil Diamond Week, it is because mm-hmm. you know we want some Neil Diamond in our lives. But people are saying, "Are you showing Wallace your political bias by playing forever in blue jeans?" Um, 
Well, I, I, Is it a denim I, par- party? Well, well, it's because it's blue because of national. I know there's a saying? blue yeah. party, but um, I didn't know there was a denim party. So um, <laughs> someone says, well, blue is the colour of national, I guess, oh. do you think? Um, you better play Icy Red by Split Ends <laughs> to balance it out. <laughs> i tell you something. Well, you'll never win. If that's swaying your vote, then our democracy is just... It, forget, walk away. It's no, I know. no point. I know. Um, Actually... Yeah. Wallace, can I just say something? In addition to what Andy had said two minutes ago, and that is when it comes to taking corrective actions, This, I, particularly this this election year, I felt farmers have been maligned. I am a farmer. I really feel it. I feel it personally. And I just want to say to New Zealand, when it comes to farmers, we're no different to when you go to the supermarket. What is on the shelf is what we buy. If you want things to improve in this country, just like you buying your cereal and your, and your everything else from the supermarket, we have to look at the people who produce the products we buy. And if it is to remedy all or any damage done to the climate, to the planet, we need to look to them to make the right decisions. Because right. uh, we've only got so much money to spend indeed. on anything. Nalini and Nillenbrook and Andrew Clay with me today. And finally, uh, on the program, the flyers, posters, stickers and core flute signs may seem really annoying now, but election campaign materials shed light on our history. A leaflet from the 1960 Communist Party, all hard to find posters going all the way back to 1890. Ooh. Hawkins' collections of election ephemera capture a unique part of our history. And with us to discuss it is Catherine Milburn, ephemera curator at Hawkins Collections. Catherine, great to have you on. Kia ora. You must have an absolute wonder of um, ephemera. It's amazing. I was reading the article in the OD here. It's amazing what you can tell about society through political ephemera, stickers, slogans, badges, right? Exactly. And um, rosettes, it's all kinds of material, um, but you can pick up trends in... um, Marketing by politicians, um, the issues of the day, um, inflation, for example, has been a concern right through the um, 20th century. Um, There's um, the way the politicians actually market themselves, the way they uh, talk about other parties, other candidates. Um, It's a real mine of information. Give us an example. Just give give us a, a, a couple of items that comes to top of mind from back in the day? Um, so one of my favourite items was actually depicted in the Call and Collected um, article in the ODT on Saturday, and that is um, a poster um, for the Labour Party in 1963, and it depicts um, the leader of of the Labour Party, Arnold Nordmeyer, and one of the reasons I love this, it was actually donated to us by um, Stan Roger, the former uh, Dunedin North Labour MP. Um, and it's a very rare poster, actually. I haven't found another institution in New Zealand that holds it. And it's got 10 exclamation marks right underneath vote Labour. <laughs> um, and it's really quite striking. Um, so that's one oh, item yes. that um, has come in recently, because we do definitely rely on donation 
from the candidates themselves as well as other people collecting for us. We'll stay there, um, Catherine. Let's bring in, uh, well, firstly, we'll get and bring our our panel. You can come back, Andrew. Oh, uh, ten. That was, I'd have loved to have been in that meeting. How many exclamation marks do we need, mate? Eight? Mm, that's not yeah. going to do it. That's not going to do it. Ten. Okay. Actually, I'm, I'm wrong. It's 15. Fifteen. <laughs> Fifteen. That's inflation right there. Um, yeah. Nalini. Oh, hi, Catherine. I guess these things go on to become chronological records, right? And we can put yes. them yeah, on a wall and yeah. see how times have changed. And I've seen some interesting exactly. ones on um, Churchill and Hitler and, you know, in, in, in museums in, in Europe. Right. And boy, it'd be great to see something like that in New Zealand, unless it already exists and I'm not familiar with it and I'd like to be, in which case I should find my way there. But um, have, have they become more sterile? Are they, am I right? We're, we're, we're not seeing good satire. We're not seeing clever bylines anymore, are we? things to collect, um, worth collecting? I think um, it's interesting because some of the earlier ones, um, I think they weren't as coordinated like party-wise in how they would do some of their marketing, whereas mm-hmm. these days it's very much um, you can see um, party, you know, a, a consistent look for a party, etc., whereas mm. in the earlier days they Sterile. probably... An individual candidate might have had more leeway in, in how they presented themselves and their ideas. So, um, But obviously these days too, anyone has access to a computer so they can um, draw up all kinds of um, images and and uh, ways of representing their their manifestos, etc. No. Yeah. Now um, you've got a, you, you've got sort of the smaller parties too. For example, uh, the No Confidence Party. You also have Manamoto Haki there. The Natural Law yep. Party. The McGillagutty yep. Serious Party. What's the other example before we leave you that you wanted to bring up? Um, well, I was just having a look through our spreadsheet and I found in 2011 there was a pirate party and so I was thinking, what, what was this all about? Were they pirates? But actually they they were campaigning on a single issue which was um, the liberalisation of the copyright and patent law. So they're talking about piracy, uh-huh. not mm. pirates oh. per se. So nowhere near as exciting as your first thought then. <laughs> no, I know. That's why I was intrigued. I had to go and look at it. And I've got a folder in front of me right here of for 1999 when there was a blokes liberation front oh those were the days we needed liberating back then (laughs) we were just captives we needed liberating (laughs) this is great uh how can people get to see this yes uh catherine um so we're actually in the process at the moment of um listing the collection on our um online catalogue so um we've our collection uh, seems to start in 1890. There's obviously not as much material for the earlier period because we didn't purposefully start collecting this material until 1966. Um, uh, so it's gradually being added um, to the catalogue uh, by one of our collection Catherine, assistants, and she's that, actually up to 1996. That's the end of the show. We're going, go. we're going out with a little bit of political balancing. <laughs> Political balancing. That's political activism at work. Andrew Black. This is going to sway the vote. Chris Hipkins, you're welcome. The panel, RNZ National, back tomorrow.